Hey, good morning and welcome. My name's Craig. I'm the senior pastor here, and it is our privilege to have you with us. If you're a guest, thank you so much for being with us. I would just invite you, if you would, uh, to take a moment and fill out our guest card. It's on the back side of your bulletin. What's kind of inside of it. You open it up, you can tear it off, or you can do it online at malvernhill.org connect. We'd appreciate that. Just like to drop you a letter in the mail this week. If you have your Bibles, we're in the book of Acts, chapter 27. We are getting near to the end of the book of Acts, just a few weeks left. Uh, just to kind of give you a picture while you're turning, we're going to finish up in Acts, and then we're going to spend about 10 weeks in the Ten Commandments, kind of, kind of convenient that way. And then we will be in Ruth for the holidays at Christmas, and then after that we're going to turn over to the new year. And then in the new year, I'm not exactly sure what date, but we will begin in the new year with a sermon series in the Beatitudes so uh, that kind of gives you a picture of where we get, uh, and that'll take us right up to Easter when we'll focus on Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday with some traditional texts next year. So I don't know what that is, six or eight months, I'll give you a picture of where you're headed. So that kind of gets us there. Hopefully by now you've made it to Acts chapter 27. We're going to begin reading in verse 39. Just a reminder, it's a little bit longer passage than usual, about 18 or 20 verses uh, this morning. So if you're not able to stand that long, please know that we understand. But if you are able to, I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of God's word. And I'm going to read to you beginning in Acts 27, 39. Just as a reminder, we've been here for a while. Paul has been um, in many trials up to this point. He's arrested, put on trial. Uh, if you'll recall, he appealed to Caesar, hey, can I go? And uh, they say, sure. And they, they put him on a ship headed there. And so last week we saw Paul on the ship saying, hey, guys, I don't think this is going to turn out well. Uh, they didn't listen. And so where we pick up today is Paul in the middle of a shipwreck. So Acts chapter 27, beginning in verse 39. Now, when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea. At the same time, loosening the ropes that tied the rudders, then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and to make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship, so it was that all were brought safely to land. After we were brought safely through, then we learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw this creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Now, side note, in most of your Bibles, probably justice is capitalized right there. This is because the native people there would have seen this as a god. Uh, so justice was a god or a goddess. And so the idea there was they believed Paul, because he was a prisoner, was probably a really bad man. And even though he had escaped, that, that this god of justice was inflicting punishment on him. So we keep reading. So he, however, um, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting hands on him, healed him. 
And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases came also and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you give us wisdom, understanding, and insight from this passage of Scripture. Father God, I pray that you would help us to see your hand of providence everywhere we look. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. We've named this sermon this morning, Save to Serve. And I'm just asking this question. Do you see God's hand? Do you you see God at work around you? When you look around, do you see God's hand in your life? How many of you adults remember science fairs? Um, I I remember science fairs as a kid. And uh, I, I don't think I've ever had to do one of these for my children. For the most part, science fairs have fallen by the wayside. And the reason is, of course, because science fairs were never actually a good indicator of what a kid could do. It really had more to do with like what a parent did. You know, you're standing back there and you're judging. And so this kid shows up and they get the blue ribbon on their science fair. And you're standing there the whole time looking at Excel spreadsheets. Uh, You're looking at exquisite models and uh, graphic images. And you know the entire time that no kid actually did this. You're looking at knowing that some parent put in 40 hours worth of work to accomplish this cherished blue ribbon, this number one first place prize in the science fair project. And the whole time the kid's like standing there with crossed arms like, oh yeah, look at what I did. And we all know it's a lie. I also have the experience right now. So I am, you know, I tell you guys where we're headed with the sermons, but what you guys might not realize is that because of where we're headed and what it takes to get everything done, I'm already elbow deep in Christmas preparation in my office on a weekly basis so that we have all the things ready for Christmas. What that means is that, I mean, I am am neck deep in Christmas spirit right now. I kind of have to be because it was 108 degrees outside and I'm trying to figure out how I can write or think anything about the holiday season. Uh, It's really difficult. So, I mean, like I've got Christmas music playing in my ears, you know, uh, like a little Christmas candle in my office. Basically anything to get me close to a place where I can mentally focus on that but it's reminded me this week about what I get usually around Christmas time I I have somebody that will generally either by my office or by my house there'll be this little kid usually a little girl sometimes a little boy and they'll walk in and they'll have like a box or maybe a tin with cookies in it and they'll say here Pastor Craig I made you some Christmas cookies and they'll smile real big and mom's standing back there the whole time and you love it because they'll say I made you Christmas cookies and usually mom's face says it all she says you know what you didn't make anything right and you open it up and there's like this one cookie in there that looks like glitter exploded all over it's just like a glob of cookie dough with seven pounds of of sprinkles on it and the kid's like look at what I did and and mom the whole time says, you didn't really do anything I did all the work y'all a lot of times in our lives We look a lot like kids with a science fair project or with a box of Christmas cookies that mama made. And we're standing around and we're saying, look at all that I did without ever giving God the glory for all the things that he's done in our life. When we look at this passage of scripture this morning, three big things that I hope jump off the page at us as we wrestle with Paul being saved to serve. And that's really what happened to Paul. So we see Paul's life being preserved by the Lord. But Paul's life was preserved for a purpose. I want you to know that you have a purpose. And if God has you here today, get this, it's because he's not finished with you. Whatever your purpose is, is not completed. So I want you to know that Paul was saved to serve and you are saved to serve. And so let's look this morning at three things that I believe we need to focus on as we consider what it looks like to see God's work in our life. The first thing 
is this. I want you to celebrate the relationships that God has given you. I want you to celebrate the relationships that God's given you. Any of you ever looked around and just thought, man, these are some really great people that the Lord's put in my life. Paul, in this particular situation, found himself in a great relationship with a guy whose name we don't know. The Bible just tells us that the centurion. So what happened is they're fixing to run this ship aground. Everything's falling apart. Everything's going bad. The ship finally wrecks. And when that happens, they got to get off. Well, there was a practice among Roman soldiers that they were responsible for the soldiers entrusted in their care. And if the soldiers escaped, then, excuse me, if the prisoners escaped, the soldiers would have to pay with their lives. Well, the flip side of this was when they found themselves in this particular situation, these soldiers say, look, if you get away, somebody's going to kill me. So I got to make a decision right here. I either kill you so that you can't escape or I run the risk of you escaping and then somebody kills me. Well, so their plan was, we're just going to exterminate all of these prisoners and then we don't have to worry about it. But there's this guy named Paul. And Paul has actually, apparently, built a relationship with a centurion who is his guard. And somehow or other, Paul's relationship with this guy became strong enough that this man desired to save Paul. Now, that might not seem like that big a deal to you, but let me just explain something. I, I went to high school at Broome High School in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Uh, it's a wonderful place. I should go visit it sometime. Our mascot was the centurion so i know a little bit about so as a matter of fact our mascot was named cecil the centurion big fluffy headed mascot of a guy really good looking he's awesome i'm probably the best mascot in the state if you know the truth of the matter i mean he's where it's at i think that it's a fun thing but here's what i also know i know that a centurion a centurion in roman times was not a big fluffy headed mascot guy he was a soldier who carried a weapon, and he had a responsibility, and his responsibility was to deliver Paul alive. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense that this man was friends with Paul, except for the fact that God had given Paul favor with this man, and God had given him a relationship. Listen to me. The people in your life are a gift and an opportunity. This man in Paul's life was a gift, a gift that preserved Paul's life because God had a plan for Paul on down the line. The people in your life are a gift. Who are the people that God's given you? Some of you can say, man, God gave me great parents. Some of you didn't have great parents. And you can look around and say, God gave me some other folks to fill in the gap for the parents I didn't have. Some of you have great spouses or great children. You have great friends. The people in your life are a gift, first of all. The second thing they are, though, is an opportunity. Do you know that the vast majority of people who, who come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior do so as a result of a relationship with a friend, a relative, an associate, or a neighbor? That means that your relationships around you, the people around you in your life, the greatest likelihood that they will be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ is if somebody who already has a relationship with them shares the gospel or invites them to church, invites them to come be here. Most of you are in this church today because somebody that you know invited you. As a matter of fact, if you're a guest with us today, more likely than not, you're a guest because somebody you know invited you. Now, our website really is like a front porch for our church. Most of the people who visit here go to our website and watch somewhere between three and five sermons before they ever show up the first time. They've watched enough sermons or listened to them online so that they usually know me by name before they walk in the door. But very few people went to that website out of the blue. Most people got even referred to the website because there was a relationship with somebody. Okay? Celebrate the relationships, but see them not only as your gift, but as your opportunity. Who are the people that God's put into your life to help you to be a better follower of Jesus, to help you to be a better father or mother, to help you be a better parent, a better citizen, a better husband or wife or child? 
But also, who are the people that God's put in your life with whom you could share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with? Who are the people that God's given you in your life that you could minister to, that you could bless? God gives you those. But watch this. Not only that, God works through relationships to accomplish his purposes. Just this week, I got a call from a guy named Kyle. Y'all don't know Kyle. But uh, um, Kyle is a man that I met right after Angela and I got married. Uh, he and his wife lived across the street from Angela and I when we got married. We lived across the street for a couple of years. Uh, we are about the same age. Uh, they were pregnant about the same time as Angela was pregnant with Wyatt. And so we, we developed a pretty good relationship with them. We moved away. And just to be totally honest, didn't expect that that relationship would, would linger. But it has. And we're not close friends, but we still keep in touch. And we speak occasionally. And I got a call from him just this week. And uh, um, he said, Craig, I, I, I need to talk to you. He said, I've got a connection with somebody that lives down your way. And they're looking for a church home. And I, he said, they called me looking for somewhere to go to church. And I said, I've got the place. He said, so Craig... I want to connect you with these people. Is that all right? Uh, yeah, absolutely it's all right. You know what was in it? what's awesome about it? Is they have some particular needs that, that our church is, is trying to figure out how to meet right now. It's pretty incredible to see that well, God's providence working in that, but also that God working through relationships, you know? God gave us as a church body the opportunity to potentially minister to a new family because of a relationship with a friend that I established you know, 18 years ago. Right? And, and, and through those things, God's working and creating opportunities, creating networks. God's given us these. But I, I don't actually even need to talk to you about extra biblical things because when we think about how it is that God works through relationships, let me just throw a few other names out at you. How about something like Paul and Barnabas? Right? How about we've got Moses and Joshua? How about Jesus and his disciples? Right? We see the Lord working through these relationships to bring about his purposes. Y'all want you to celebrate the relationships God's given you. This is one of the reasons why life groups matter so much in our church body. So that you can build and forge relationships where God can use those relationships to help you to grow and be more like Jesus. Where God can use those relationships. So watch. So that you might be able to help others grow and be more like Jesus. When people sit in our Next Steps class, I say, if God's called you to join this church, I believe it's because there's something here that you need. But I also believe that if God's called you here, it's because there's something you have that we need. I believe that that's what happens through relationships. Celebrate those. Look at how a relationship saved Paul's life. And look here. Don't ever, ever undervalue the potential for relationships to save yours. Right now, the most pressing health crisis receiving the most news, the most research, the most concern right now is loneliness, right? And, and when we think about that, don't ever undervalue the power of relationships to rescue from your own depths of despair. Celebrate the relationships God's given you. When you can think about what it looks like to give God glory, celebrate Him. Number two, praise God for signs and wonders. Now, what, what are those? Um, keep in mind a sign and a wonder is not necessarily just the miraculous. We're going to talk about the miraculous in a minute. But let's think about how it is that God worked through signs and wonders in Paul's life. God gave Paul a vision. God gave Paul his word. And then the Lord fulfilled his word to Paul. There was a unique and wonderful sign that was, that was brought about right there. Listen, what would have happened if, if, if in the middle of that, Paul had just meant, man, what a great coincidence, you know? How many of y'all have ever been there? The Lord has fulfilled a promise for you and you just went, man, what a great, great coincidence. I remember when I was wrestling with 
my call to ministry as a young man. I was not well educated in how to study God's word. I, I had a, a very scientific method that I would use to study my Bible. I would say, Lord, show me what you want me to read, and then I would just do vroom and just throw it open, you know, and see where it landed. It's, it's wonderful. Um, it's not. Don't do that. We can do better than that. If you don't know how, let us help you. But here's what's awesome is that even in the middle of that, God still works. God still works. We're going to see providence in a minute, but, but he works in signs and wonders. And, and for me, there were times when the Lord just, man, just I would lay that open and, and God would take me in his word right to a place where I needed to be. And he was constantly driving me back to what he wanted me to know and what he wanted me to read. There was a time, I kid you not, in the Bible that I had at that time, um, it, it got stolen, so I don't have it anymore. Uh, but um, and, and look, if you're going to have a Bible stolen, the assumption is always they needed it more than you did, right? But I was in Costa Rica where they speak Spanish, and I had an English Bible stolen, and so they probably couldn't even read it. It just broke my heart to know it probably didn't even get any, any use, but um, it was in a backpack. doesn't matter. you don't care. But I, I just threw that Bible open one night, and it had a concordance in the back, and there, the first words that my eyes lit upon was call, called, and calling. So I'm praying, God, am I called to ministry? And the first words I see, call, called, and calling. You know what I did? I said, man, what a coincidence. That'll never happen again. Shut my Bible and went to bed. Y'all, we can even see God do incredible things in our life and just explain it away. What if, what if Paul had heard this word from the Lord and he said, you're going to be all right. And then he was all right. And Paul went, oh, well, that was wonderful. Y'all, we got to make sure that we praise God for the signs and wonders that he gives us in our lives. Okay, let's think about what a few of those, are, those might be. Now, now, we think about that, we usually think about miracles first. Now, look, watch this. A miracle is a supernatural interference with nature. I stole that, that definition from C.S. Lewis. So when we think about what a miracle is, this is God invading time and space and doing something that otherwise wouldn't happen were it not for his intervention. This is what the miraculous is. We can only affirm the potential of the miraculous if we affirm if we affirm the actual existence of the supernatural okay which brings us to our next slide we're going to hurry to, towards it um, christians must be supernaturalists now there's a difference here as followers of jesus we believe in the natural we believe in science we believe in the ability of scientists to help us through all kinds of things. I'm so grateful for medical science. Were it not for penicillin, half of us would be dead right now. right? Just, just advances in medical knowledge allow us to have things like antibiotics. Uh, there, there, there are things that we don't even think about today that killed people years ago. In this very passage of scripture right here, what was this man healed from? He was healed from dysentery. As, as, as Americans, we don't even think about dysentery being a big issue because we have a whole host of medications that can cure us from any reason that would cause dysentery in our lives. But in the ancient world, and sometimes even in parts of third world countries today, dysentery is just about a, a death sentence if we, can't find, if we can't find medication for it. So we're grateful for the natural world and for the effort of naturalists, but we've got to be supernaturalists. That means that we've got to affirm not only the existence of the natural world, but the existence of the supernatural. Now, more likely than not, there's not anybody here this morning who came in here saying, I tell you what, if Craig Thompson doesn't convince me that God exists, I refuse to believe that God is there. Most of you walked in 
and said, you know what, I would affirm that God exists. Even if you don't exactly have the same belief systems I have, you believe in the existence of a God. And so that's awesome. But if we're not careful sometimes, we become functional atheists. And here's what I mean by that. I mean that if somebody asks you, you would say, I believe that God exists. But we become a functional atheist when we say, I believe he exists, but I refuse to acknowledge his existence in the everyday occurrences of my life. Right? That in the middle of great things that God does, I just don't stop. And look and say, look at what God did for me today. Listen, we should not rob God of his glory. Do not rob God of his glory. Now, again, most people don't do this on purpose. You don't sit around and go, how am I going to take glory from something God did? Here's what we do instead. We just don't take time to think about how in the world am I going to give God glory for the things that he's done. We don't take time to slow down and take our eyeballs off of ourselves and instead, look and see what the Lord has done. Look, Paul could have taken credit in this particular situation. Let's think about the signs and wonders that took place in Paul's life just in this particular moment. So the Lord speaks and he says what's going to happen. And then what God says happens, happens. It's not just that Paul is rescued from a shipwreck. All 276 are saved, just as God said it would be. And then as if that weren't enough... Paul gets there, boom, viper fastens onto his hand. I've never said that in my life. A viper fastened onto me. No, it bit him, right? A snake bit him. Everybody's freaking out. I would have been freaking out. I'd have probably swam off the island when that happened. I hate snakes. They, they, they really give me all the creepy feelings. And so um, Paul gets bit by a snake. He just shakes it off in the fire. Everybody's sitting there like slack-jawed, staring, and these people are like, uh-huh, this man was obviously a murderer. He escaped the sea, and now the God of justice is going to wipe him out. And instead, while they waited for Paul to swell up and die, nothing happened. And when that moment kicked in, here's what they did. They said, if he didn't die, he must not be under judgment from the gods. He himself must be a god. Now, this isn't the first time that Paul's been referred to as a god in the book of Acts. And because we have the background, we know what Paul did then, we can pretty well presume what God did this time as well. When they said, you're a God, Paul, I'm sure, looked at them and said, no, 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 I'm not, but I know who is. And then Paul began to minister on the island, going so far as to heal people there. Do you understand? Paul experienced the blessing of God in signs and wonders. But then rather than just forget about what God had done, Paul used that as a diving board to jump into the ministry that God would call him to. Y'all, let's make sure that we praise God for the signs and wonders that he puts in our life. Look, you might not experience an incredible miracle of the Lord today, right? But, but so often we just see God work in small things. And rather than take the time to say, look what God did, we just, we just ignore him and move on. And functionally we become atheists. Not giving him glory. Praise God for his signs and wonders. And then finally this morning, I want you to acknowledge God's providence. Now, after I noticed my error in the first service, you'd have thought I'd have corrected it coming into this one, but I didn't. What a mistake. I should have given you guys a map so you could see. So what happens is Paul and his people, they take off. So you can imagine they're sailing initially for the island of Crete. So let's just use this water bottle. This is good. So Crete, if you could imagine, is this water bottle. And so they're kind of leaving and they set sail. And the idea from Paul is that, well, if we're doing this, we ought to stop 
kind of back here on the back side. This is at Fair Havens. This is hey, we ought to stop right here. We were already we're already pushing our luck. But the sailors and others say, whoa, no, no, we want to get all the way around to the front side, to Phoenix, to this, this front part of the island. And so they prevail, and so that's the idea. We're going to skip past this, this easy place, and we're going to go to the harder place because it's a, it's a better port. Well, you know what happens next. They get around the edge. Well, the wind catches them and blows them off course. And so they're just all over the place. They don't know where they are because they're in the middle of a storm. Two weeks of this, right? A storm that is black as night. Now, they don't have compasses. They don't have modern technology. They can only navigate by the sun, the moon, and the stars. That's all they have. But when everything is dark and they can't see anything, they are not just lost. They are completely lost. They have no idea where they are. They have no idea where they're going. They're completely blind. And they, in the middle of this, they're being just tossed about by these storms, these waves. And in the middle of all of that, we have Paul that stands up and says, Oh, by the way, God says we're going to be okay if we'll just wreck this thing. Doesn't make good sense, as we looked at last week, but we obey the Lord when he tells us to. But here's what happens. The Bible says they did. They wreck it, right? They don't know where they are. Remember, it said that. They didn't know the name of the place. But here's what they discovered once they got there. They landed at an island called Malta. Now, Malta is a small place about eight, eight feet, not eight feet, eight miles by 18 miles um, in, in, in size. Okay? And so they, they get shipwrecked on this island. Here's where God's providence is at work. Not only does God save them, look, look, there's a special guy on board here. It's Paul. This is the story of, of God's people getting God's message to the world. And so Paul is on his way to the center of the known world to carry the good news of the gospel. And God is going to get him there. He said, Paul, I'm getting you to Rome. And Paul ends up as a prisoner on a ship with people that are not doing what they ought to be doing. But, they, but where do they land? They land on Malta. Malta's like right here. Remember, they were aiming for there. They land here. Why does that matter? Because Rome is right there. Here's what God did in his providence. Even though they lost their ship, Paul ended up closer to Rome than he would have been. God knew where he was taking Paul the whole time. And listen, God knows where he's taking you. Not all of God's work in your life is extraordinary or miraculous. Some of it's just plain. Some of it's just mundane. Some of it has more to do with just getting you in the right place at the right time. This is the hidden providence of God. And y'all, we need to acknowledge God's hidden providence. The time that God just gave you an opportunity that you didn't anticipate. The time that God just put you in the right place at the right time. See, we talk about God's problem. We talk about relationships, but how often do, do those relationships even come about as a result of God's providence? I developed a relationship with this guy named Kyle. We became friends. We're now long-distance friends. We speak occasionally. But why do I even know him? Because God and his providence put me in a house right across the street from him. That's what happened. I didn't know him when I moved in. I didn't aim for that. I knew the people that owned the house I was moving into. Angela and I were waiting on a call from the Lord for us to go and for me to pastor a church, and we didn't know where that was going to be, and the people that owned the house were willing to give us a house on a month-to-month -month lease without a contract because they knew that God had a call in our life. And so that's the reason we were there. It didn't have anything to do with him. I didn't know that guy, and yet the Lord arranged those things. Y'all, we need to acknowledge God's providence. When's the last time that God put somebody in your life just out of the blue? God put you where God wanted you to be because God had a purpose. Isn't that incredible? How many, of you can, how many of you can recount the time that God put you where you needed to be so you could hear the gospel? 
that God put you where you could be so you could be safe. God put you where you could be. I mean, just all the things. Let's make sure that we acknowledge it. Let's give him glory for it. Okay? Because look, God's providence provides hope and comfort to God's children. It's not just that God puts you where, you want, where he wants you to be. When we understand God's providence for what it is. And look, what is God's providence? I probably should have began with, an, with a definition, shouldn't I? This is God's sovereign control. This is God putting you and others in the places where you'd have them to be. And when we understand who God is as a heavenly father, we understand what providence is, then God's providence can provide hope and comfort to, to us as his children. Let's just think about this for a minute. As a dad, I know what it's like, okay, uh, for when my children were little, for them to get scared and then to say, hey, dad, I'm afraid. And I say, well, I'm here. And it's great because when they're still young enough, they'll go, well, that's great. I'm not scared anymore. And you feel like Superman, you know? They get a little older and you don't matter quite as much. But, but still, you know what it's like as a dad or as a parent to sometimes be able to provide comfort. And just the fact that you are there is really all that they need. Y'all, that's what it is to understand God's hand of providence in our life. To know that his presence with us is enough. That even in the difficult days of life, he's enough. But here, here's, here's, here's the hard part. Sometimes you have to get shipwrecked before you can see God's providence. Sometimes you can't see the way that God is organizing and orchestrating the events of your life until everything else falls apart. Two things. First of all, do me a favor. Don't wait for the shipwreck to give God glory in your life. Don't wait. I mean, we've got Paul standing up and urging these people, please don't go. And when they go, he stands up again. He says, look, God is going to take care of this. Y'all do me a favor. Don't wait for the shipwreck before you're willing to listen. Don't wait for it to all fall apart before you're willing to hear. Remember what I told you? God providentially has put you in this place because he has a purpose. Don't wait for the shipwreck. Cling to his purposes today. Hang on. Cling to his love for you. Hang on. Cling to the relationships he's given, the good ones. Hang on. Don't wait. But here's what I didn't do in the first service that I should have done. I didn't speak to anybody who's already in the middle of a shipwreck. See, there's some of you here today who say, Pastor Craig, that all sounds really great. But the reality is, where do I see God's providence? How do I cling to these relationships? How do I celebrate the Lord's mighty acts and wonders when it's too late for me? My ship has already run aground. Pastor Craig, I've already wrecked it all. It's never too late. It is never, ever too late. 
But the centurion wishing to save Paul kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and to make for land. And to the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Some of you are swimming and you're just trying to keep your head above water. Some of you are clinging with all of your might to a busted ship and just hoping it'll get you somewhere. And here's what I'm here to tell you today. I want you to know this. The Lord has provided a safe harbor and the wood of your ship will fail you, but the cross of Jesus Christ will never, ever let you down. The Lord saved the apostle Paul to serve him, and I'm here to tell you today that he will save you. And he has a purpose and a plan. So I ask you, will you acknowledge God's hand in your life? It's okay with me if your ship is splintered and you've already wrecked it. You know what? It's even okay with me if you did it on purpose. It's okay with me if you have lived in active rebellion against the Lord. It's okay with me if you look more like Lieutenant Dan screaming profanities to the Lord himself. It's all right with me because of this. Our God is willing to save you wherever you are, whatever you've done, and whatever you've been through. He's not worried about who you were because he knows who he is and what Jesus has done. And he desires to rescue you from the shipwreck you've made of your life. And today can be the day that you are set free. You say, but Pastor Craig, I couldn't help it. Somebody else wrecked my ship. <laughs> he will set you free from the shipwrecks of others, the shipwrecks of yourself. Paul didn't wreck that ship. Paul didn't sail that ship, and yet the Lord still rescued him from a raging sea. He will set you free today. But if you're here today and your ship is still floating just fine, do me a favor. Don't wait. Don't wait. Today can be the day of your salvation. Today can be the day that the Lord intervenes. Today can be the day that the darkness is turned to light. That you can find hope in the middle of your hopelessness. God had a purpose for Paul and he has a purpose for you. As we pray this morning, as we sing, I would invite you to come and discover that purpose. I'd love to pray with you and introduce you to Jesus. If you already have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, then here's what I invite you to do. Some of you may just need to come and pray this morning. Some of you recognize, Lord, I'm, I'm on a path to destruction. God, I've been, I've been rowing my own ship in my own way, and Lord God, I've not obeyed, I've not listened. Lord God, today I, 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 need, I need to follow you. Some of you need to come and pray today for your children or your grandchildren, your parents. Their head is straight for destruction. Some of you need to pray today that God would intervene, that they'd find hope. Pray with me this morning. Father God, we love you and praise you and thank you. Thank you, Lord God, that we serve a God of second and third and fourth and all the chances. Thank you, Father God, that we've not sinned so far that you'll stop loving. Thank you, Lord God, that there's never going to come a day when our sins are bigger than your, your salvation. Move among us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us this morning as we sing.